A reading from the book of Jonah, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 and 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 29 through 31. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. A reading according to the gospel, a reading from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants and followed him. This is a word of the Lord. Uh, So, on the rare occasion that I get the scripture readings right, and for the coming week, uh... We're on, this would be the third week after Epiphany. I forgot to actually look and write it down. This is the third week after. This is the fourth week of Epiphany we're coming up on, which is the third week after Epiphany. And so um, the main thrust of pretty much all the scriptures since after we skipped John's baptism uh, after that has been evangelism, and that is holding true for the scriptures today. Uh, So again, as normal, we're going to skip psalm, uh, our psalm reading for this evening, uh, and we're going to look at 
Jonah, then Mark, then, and we'll look at First Corinthians last. And so the the um, references are on the outline. There's one there. There's one at the back. If anybody needs one. Um, so getting into to Jonah, um, uh, obviously. So we know John Gray did a story, or not a story, a uh, uh, some sermons on Jonah a few weeks back, maybe it was a couple months back. Um, they gave us an outline of of Jonah, and I think most people know what the outline and thrust of the story is. And so I just want to bring out some things that remind us of our calling, which we'll see in in Mark. And we think about these things again. Every time we talk about something we're supposed to do, it's usually innate to who we are as Christians. And most of the time, at least in my life, I think about how I do those in my head, but whether I walk them out and live that way is another story. And so, um, you know, the whole thrust of Epiphany for the last few weeks is that God is making known himself, not just to the nation of Israel, but to the whole world, to the surrounding Gentile nations, and he's going to make himself known to the entire world. And so we see nothing different as Jonah as a prefiguring to Christ. Um, If you go on Peter Lightheart's website, um, not Theophilus, but his his blog, uh, which is using another blog site, I forget what it's called, but... um, he makes the case that Jonah is a prefiguring, also a prefiguring of the nation of Israel, of how Jonah in the end is uh, um, hateful towards Gentiles repenting, just like Israel. And so those are fun things to look at, but for the thrust of Epiphany and for our time here tonight, uh, we just want to, I just want to bring out that the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel brings repentance. And so Let's go to Romans. So that's probably no new news. If you didn't know that today, write that one down. Um, but Romans ten fourteen through 17. This was one of the scripture verses that everyone had to memorize um, on to be a primary in evangelism at right state. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Right? Someone has to hear. The the gospel actually has to be said. You can't actually convert somebody. No one can get converted without gospel proclamation. That is just not possible. Uh, And how do they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing from through the word of Christ. And so Jonah, all the other prophets are sent to do a very specific role of proclamation, right? Of repentance. That was one of the main thrusts of the prophets in the Old Testament was not just to call Israel to repentance, but go and gain a new land through proclamation. Um, the kings gained new land, but that was through defeating enemies. They weren't proclaiming the gospel, um, but prophets were. They were, um, that was, if you look at the progression, it's, we usually say prophet, priest, king, but really the progression in the law is priest, king, prophet. Prophet being the one that goes out and takes new land, 
um, gains new territories like that. Kings are mostly in their own territory. And so uh, one thing that I like to talk about is everyone is an evangelist. We, if you've been at the church for a while, for the eight people that are here, um, we know about proclamation evangelism and lifestyle evangelism, right? Everyone's heard of that. It's nothing new. And so what I hope everyone's thought through is that with lifestyle evangelism, you're always evangelizing whether you like it or not. How you do at your job, to your boss, your, um, you know, evangelizing to the guy that cuts you off on the road and how you respond and, and whatnot. Um, and uh, so everyone is an evangelist, and I think everyone should evangelize. And I don't mean going out like Jonah, going out into an unknown city that you hate. Uh, let's say, like, I really don't like Detroit. I've been there a couple times, and it's a dirty city. And God bless anybody from Detroit. Uh, you need it. Um, but I wouldn't want to go back to Detroit. I wouldn't, that would be like a... But God's not calling me to go proclaim the gospel in Detroit. Uh, thank the Lord so far. Um, but, uh, but we're all called to do some kind of proclamation evangelism. And so recently, just to give you an example of how this works in the real world, uh, is Noel has a student that's a piano student or a violin student or a music student of some sort. You can tell me, what is it? Piano. Um, and uh, this is just how it works in the real world. These are real things. This happens all the time. Um, let's go back and say 1 Peter 3.15 says, sanctify Christ in your, uh, uh, sanctify Christ in your hearts as Lord uh, or as holy, being ready to make a defense of the hope that you have within you when someone asks for it. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. And so a uh, real life situation, one of Noel's piano students were asking about the uh, January 6th Capitol building thing. Um, and was asking Noel, what does she think about it? And she said, essentially, I'm not worried because I trust in God. I think he's sovereign and all these things. And her response was, I envy you that, right? Why do you have this hope? That's like, that's literally what the Bible verse says in 1 Peter 3.15. And someone in real life said, I envy you and began to say, can I talk to you about Christianity? And she's been talking with her on the phone about Christianity and objections and stuff. And so the whole point of this is about that story um, is, or that testimony is, is that these are real world situations. And, but we have to, if there was no proclamation, if it was just like, well, I'm not worried about it, you know, these things happen, and they're in Washington, D.C., and we're in Ohio, so I'm not too worried about it. She'd be like, oh, okay, I envy you not being worried about it. You're right. Uh, I think she's in California, so she's a little bit more reason to be worried, but um, for different reasons. But, uh, but right, like, but the fact of the matter is a proclamation, I'm not worried because God is sovereign, and there is where my hope lies. Oh, I envy you. And then, because... Um, you can get the story from Noel. This person is adamantly against Christianity, began to wanting to ask her questions. Um, if you read the rest of First Peter, it says, you know, let no one, when people slander you because of your good behavior and essentially lifestyle evangelism, 
of, uh, I believe, Noelle had gotten to a situation where she's, uh, her student, it would be receptive. But if Noelle was aggressive or um, you just had a demeanor that wasn't so welcoming, she probably would just say, oh, this is a, one of those stupid Christians and should probably quit getting piano lessons and uh, that'd be the end of that, right? So the fact is like, we're all called to proclamation evangelism. We all have to be ready, uh, just like Jonah was called to be ready. And he had his troubles and, you know, God had him. But, uh, but that's the difference between saying, yeah, well, I'm not worried or, well, I think this way because because I'm a Christian, or putting it out there. And I think we all uh, have tendencies to shy away from that. I think that's just in our sin nature. And so the readiness, the not just evangelizing with our lifestyle and what we do, but, but being ready to say, yeah, I think this way because I'm a Christian. The Bible says this, and that's what I think. And uh, that is proclamation evangelism. So I think, you know, just in... Um, a time in our nation where we're looking more like Nineveh day in, like every day we look a little bit more like Nineveh uh, and the pagan nations being ready. Like no one's going to hear the hope we have unless we say it. No one's going to hear about Christ unless we say it. Um, even things like, um, you know, I don't go there because I'm a Christian. Uh, I've had, you know, I don't um, do certain things. You know, people ask you, friends at work invite you out, whatever. I don't do certain things because I'm a Christian. And maybe someone will ask questions. Maybe they'll want to get to, maybe they'll say like, oh, well, this guy's got it going on. He's got a wife and kids or something, or his life doesn't suck as much as mine. Maybe I'll ask him why, why that is. And so I think we all should be ready for that. And but mostly that's because in our Mark passage, when you read that Jesus calls them and says, you will be fishers of men, is that that's, we're not actually fully converted until we're walking that out. We're not actually fully immersed in the kingdom of God in our, um, uh, in our utility in a church unless we're walking out some kind of evangelism. I think that's part of a more full conversion is that everybody is evangelizing. That doesn't mean we're going down to the Oregon district on, everyone has to go down and sign up for their time slot and go down to the Oregon district on Friday night between nine and midnight and talk to strangers they don't know. That's not what that means. Not everyone's called to that. Um, but everybody is called to be a witness. Everybody is called to say what they know. Everyone is called as, to be as faithful as much as they've called to been faithful that makes sense. Everyone has a testimony. Everybody, um, if we're witnesses of Christ, we have to actually witness to Christ. But that's innately in, in who we are. Um, it was God's design that we look at, um, you know, uh, that the people of God would be um, bringing in the rest of the world, right? And we get this metaphor, we get these allegories in scriptures about the sea and different things about the sea being the Gentiles. And it starts in Genesis. We know what our calling is in Christ um, or through Christ in God, starting in Genesis of the land of Eden, 
right, is situated in a way that the water, it goes and waters the rest of the world, right? So we start to see these metaphors of, of the water going out from us and watering the whole earth. And, but constantly in scripture, which is why Jesus uses the, the fish metaphor of you'll be fishers of men is because he's trying to say, or he is saying, that all of the Gentile nations are coming in but they're not coming in unless you catch them. Unless you say something, they're not coming in. And I think that's part of the reason uh, for a social commentary, because I know everybody wants my social commentary. Uh, <laughs> write, write these down. <laughs> right. Uh, part of the reason why America is falling, you know, prey to... Um, just the way we are going, secular humanism, is because the church has largely lost an evangelistic front in society. We have no foothold, regardless of like our lifestyle. Van like our lifestyle sucks. We're terrible. We're terrible churches. Like it's off the charts of how bad our churches are. How much our churches stink. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, of, of lifestyle. And it's because we're not re regenerated by the word and different things, but, but largely is the re way the culture is going is because of the church. The church doesn't have any say in the public square. And that's more for another time, but, um, but just to say, like, we have to be active in evangelism. We have to be active in proclamation of being vocal about being like, this is why like when someone asks you and gives you the direct opportunity to say, why are you the way you are? Don't back down. Like say, I have the hope within me because Christ is Lord. The first part of that verse is sanctify Jesus in your hearts uh, as Lord. Or if you read like the NASB, it says something, uh, put Christ uh, in his rightful place as holy or something. And so at least if you memorize, memorize that verse, you can uh, say that. And then that might give you time to think for another response, <laughs> right? That's always a tactic of mine. Just say, when someone says something, just say, interesting. Nod your head, take a couple breaths, and then form a response. Hmm, I'll have to think about that. But anyways, um, but we have to be ready. Everyone should be ready. And I think that's what the church needs to be equipped with is a prophetic calling to the rest of the nations. And that's what we have to recapture. And that's what Jesus puts in, in the basis of being a disciple, a follower of Christ, is you have to proclaim you, you're going out to get the fish. So besides just the proclamation part, it's innately part of being a follower of Christ is that we're going to get fish. We're here to fish. We're here to bring in the Gentile nations. And so I just want to bring out some things besides that in Genesis, in uh, Daniel 7. Um, if you haven't uh, read Through New Eyes by James Jordan, you can read that. Uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago about the podcast where they put his worldview lectures in there. That's essentially Through New Eyes um, in a simplified version. Uh, but a lot of these things of like when we look at the the sea metaphor, why we're fishing for men is because we're bringing in the nations. Daniel seven three and uh, seventeen. Daniel seven three and seventeen. 
And the four great beasts came up out of the sea, the different, different from one another. Then 17, Daniel interprets the dream. Those four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. So here's a direct analogy between the sea and nations or, or the sea and kings. Um, Psalm 65, 6 and 7. Uh, I'll read verse 5 through 7. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. Hope of all the end of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one by the one by the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. There's that poetic equation of the tumult of the seas with the peoples. Um, let's just do one more. Uh, Ezekiel 26, 3, just for, just so you guys get it, that the sea is the Gentiles. He didn't go, and uh, I read an interesting article. I didn't really think about this before, but um, the Lord never accepted on the altar a sacrifice of fish. He never did. He only, he only accepted animal sacrifices which were native to the land. Uh, mostly because the Israelites were, you know, when it was established, they're in a desert. So <laughs> it's hard to get fish in the middle of the desert. Uh, but that's obviously for a reason. What are we looking at? Ezekiel 26, 3. Oh, we're also going to, we'll end with the Revelation 17, because that one's obvious. Um, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Tyre, and will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its, its waves. And so again, there's this equation, there's this allegorical sense of the ocean, the sea, the Gentiles, all these nations are equated to that. You can read Revelation on your own time, um, Revelation 17, 15. Uh, one thing I love about Revelation is when it interprets something, just like in Daniel, it's very clear. Like, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Oh, I got this one. Uh, and that's what Revelation seventeen fifteen is, talking about the waters that the, uh, the harlot is riding on top of the beast, on top of the waters. And so the waters are, are these nations um, that Israel has... has, has and it, well, just kind of give you a clue. In Revelation uh, 17, um, John's prophetically seeing and speaking against the harlot that's on top of the nations, that's on top of the, the waters, which is the nations, the beast being Rome um, and the harlot being a whore. And she's supposed to be the one that brings in the Gentiles, welcomes them, and she's the, ones, she's the one that is abusing them. And so Israel lost their calling, but that's what the, what the church is for. Uh, Isaiah 2, I always go back to it. Uh, there's no sea metaphor here, but what does it say? That the nations will flow to the mountain of Zion, the house of Jacob. Because from Jacob or from forth Mount Zion comes the law. And so that, that's not just the English word flow and we think of you know, things that flow. It's the same thing in Hebrew is that a flow, a stream, a water, there's a, there's a stream back to, 
uh, to Israel, to Mount Zion, to the true, um, uh, the true descendants of Abraham who have the law. And so that's just who we are. If we're not doing that, we've actually just missed all of our calling. Uh, as a person, uh, our families do that. We always talk in at least, at least the three spheres of individual, family, and, and church. Um, and so just our calling as a church, we've actually, if we don't evangelize, if we don't go out, it doesn't have to be street preaching, but if we're not calling in Gentiles, if we're not welcoming people in, converting them, we've missed our calling. We've actually missed everything. Um, you know, uh, or at least the, probably one of the biggest things about being a community of, of people in God's calling is because none of that actually, none of the other stuff that we do in a church, it matters to extent of how healthy we are and how much we, um, build lifestyle evangelism. And that will always bring people in. People are always going to see that, uh, Hey, we live in community, um, that's interesting. Uh, that seems to produce, you know, we as just our church won't know whether it produces better marriages for another 40 years. <laughs> so we're getting a lot of marriages, but we'll find out because everyone's been married for like a year or two. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see what it does in 40 years. Um, you know, as far as our specific church plant. And so all those lifestyle evangelisms are built to bring people in and tell them the actual good news, the actual gospel, welcome them in and actually proclaim why we are the way we are. And so if we're becoming healthier as a church and we're doing various things, there's certain evangelistic efforts that'll be natural that people will see. But if we're not individually proclaiming the gospel in our workplace, in our homes, um, wherever we go on Friday nights, uh, you know, whatever we're doing, then we've kind of lost our entire calling. And so, um, I think that's what Paul's getting at in first Corinthians six, where, um, he's not saying to those who are married, it says to those who are married, it's time to live like you're not married. He's not saying go out on a date with someone who's not your wife or not your husband. In case you were wondering, that's not the interpretation. Uh, that wouldn't be consistent. Um, you know, same thing with those who are rejoicing, live like they're not rejoicing. I'm not supposed to be happy. No, he says in that last verse, let's go to 1 Corinthians. Um, I think I wrote 1 Corinthians 6 on the paper. It's actually 1 Corinthians 7. I just noticed that. 1 Corinthians 7, 29 through 31. Um, so the last sentence in verse 31 says, for the present form of this world is passing away. And so not just contextually, Paul knew that there was going to be large judgment on Israel and Rome coming. He talks about that elsewhere. And it's kind of presumed here that uh, you should live, your days are short, there's a judgment coming in the real context of when this letter was written. And so live as if, um, uh, as if you're on a mission, is essentially what he's saying, that your life is short, you're going to die someday in a, the most physical sense possible. <laughs> you will die, you will pass away. Uh, your marriage will pass away with you till death do us part. 
Well, when you're dead, your spouse is free. <laughs> and uh, they might remarry. Who knows? But when you're both dead, <laughs> you're married to the Lord. And you're present with the Lord. And you might recognize each other in heaven, but I don't know. Um, but none of that is going to last. None of what we build here on earth uh, in the fullness of time isn't even going to last. What's going to last is what we do for the kingdom, which is going to involve a lot of what we do here on earth. And so he's just saying your time is short. Be wise. Uh, just like we saw in Ephesians um, 5.16. That I think I mentioned last week or something. It's a good one to keep coming back to. And we'll kind of end uh, with this Ephesians passage. Ephesians 5, 16. Oh, let's do 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so the time is short. We live, uh, like the psalmist says, like Moses says, uh, but a vapor, 70, 80 years max. Uh, 90 years max, 10, 100 years max. Uh, it's not that long. To be uh, on, on par with working in the kingdom requires some kind of proclamation evangelism. Be ready. Uh, be open about it. We're the only ones that are going to change the culture. We're the only ones that are going to evangelize people in truth. Um, not us as a church, us as as. Uh, true Israelites as, as Christians. And so one of the things to, that we're constantly reminded in Epiphany is the gospel is not going out unless we proclaim it. We have to be the ones that proclaim it. Um, you know, think about that, how that's going to, what you need to grow and what you need to study, what you need to think about. Uh, who can you evangelize to, right? We see uh, family members, you know, in, um, in our Mark passage, of they knew what to look for. They knew um, who the Christ was going to look like. And uh, they recognized that and went and, you know, uh, Philip got Nathan and, um, uh, and people got their family members um, and they left immediately and, and they got on board with fishing for men. They got trained, they got discipled. Because that's innately what they were called to be. And that's who we're called to be. These are the apostles, the foundations of the church. That means everybody after that is built on top of the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. <laughs> Close. Uh, uh, Christ is the cornerstone. Um, but right, because it's the same calling of going out and capturing the world, of proclaiming Christ, of going out with the gospel. And so that's what we're called to do. That's what we need to grow in. That's what we need to walk in. Um, amen. <laughs>